Well, good morning, everybody. Thank you so much for being here. My name's Nick Mance. I'm one of the pastors on staff, and I just want to say thanks for joining us today. Whether you're here in person, you're joining us online, thank you so much for, for coming to church with us, for, for making this a Sunday where we can gather together. Um, if you're new or visiting, I know we've had a lot of people who've kind of stepped into Hershey Free as we've been getting uh, back into kind of like a, a normal kind of swing of things. Thank you, guys. Um, we'll get to that in a moment. Um, it's not every day that you have like three people bringing stuff out for you, so that's always fun and exciting. Thanks, Karen. Um, but if you're new or visiting with us today, we are journeying through a series that we are calling Love This Book. Um, this is a church-wide series that we are doing. And if you haven't yet gotten a copy of this, let me encourage you to pick one up. We have physical copies available out in the lobby as you leave, so you can go ahead and grab one of these. Or if you're, you're more tech-savvy, you're like, hey, you know, I'm watching online. What about me? I might not be able to get into the building at this point. Uh, well, let me encourage you on hfcinfo.com. You can head right over there and actually pick up, or not pick up, you can download a PDF version right there that has it, the entire study right there for you. And don't feel like that you have to like, start from the beginning. If you're just jumping in now, please don't feel that pressure. We would just be honored and encouraged if you would jump in with us as we continue in the study. If you want to go back and jump into it and kind of dig deeper into what we've already talked about in past weeks, feel free to do that. But do not feel obligated to do so. This morning, we're going to be talking about a, a, a part in Jesus' life that we are calling Jesus the Storyteller. This is uh, a passage that we're going to be in. We'll be in Matthew chapter 13. We'll be looking at a parable that Jesus tells, a story that he tells. And you know, stories are really important. And I don't know about you, but like, I love to read. Um, I love to read books. I love to read adventure novels. I'm not as proficient as Pastor George who can like just consume abundantly when it comes to books. I mean, I feel like the dude, he will come in whenever I'm preaching. And like on the Wednesday before I preach, he gives me a book about this thick and goes, here. And I'm like, and do you want me to look at the cover? But like, that's just, that's his love language. And he can consume books. I'm not that good at reading. Like I love to read, but I'm not, I'm not like George Davis quality of reader. Like when I read, like what I love to do is I love to read adventure novels. And one of the, the writers I love to read is this guy called uh, Clive Cussler. And you might be familiar with Clive Cussler if you watch movies. Uh, one of his books, Sahara, was actually turned into the movie Sahara. They took a lot of creative liberties, I'll just say that. But it's a great book, and he's an author who, when he writes, he just pulls you into the story. And if you've ever, like, read a story or watched a film or, or, or like, had somebody tell you a story, you know, you know what happens when it's a good story. You get transported into it, right? And maybe you can't relate to, to Clive Cussler, but maybe you can relate to Tolkien right? The Lord of the Rings. What a great series. And we, we sometimes think it's just the Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit, but like Tolkien actually created this entire world. The dude invented a language for this series. Like that's insane. And when you start getting into Tolkien and you start reading more and more of his stories, all of a sudden you feel like you're a part of it. You identify with different groups of individuals. You're like, yes, I want to see them win. Like, this is such a great story. We're transported into it. All of a sudden, we start, like, identifying with the elves or the dwarves. We're like, what is happening? But we got transported into it. Or maybe, maybe you can better identify with Lewis, with the Chronicles of Narnia. And if you've seen the movies, I will say this, the original are much better than the new ones, just saying. But if you've seen the movies, let me encourage you to read the books because you'll be transported 
to Narnia. As you open up the line, the witch in the wardrobe, and you're reading, all of a sudden you're walking with Lucy and Mr. Tumnus to the lamppost. And you feel like you're a part of the story. You've just been invited in, and it takes over. You see, stories are a part of our culture. Stories, they relate to us. They, they, they have this, this, this dynamic aspect that just makes us want to be a part of what's happening. And I don't know about you, but I love stories. I love reading stories. I love telling stories. In fact, if you were to talk to my wife, Elise, she would tell you, you probably can't get into a conversation with me without me breaking into a story that may or may not have anything to do with what I'm talking about. And I realize that right now I'm telling a story at the same time. Like, I totally get, like, the, the, the juxtaposition to that. But stories, like, they are a part of who But stories, like, who we are. And Jesus does this, too. Jesus knows how important stories are. But he uses stories that we call parables. When he uses stories, it's not, it's not like me when I get ADD and I just randomly start, like, telling stories about a random topic that has nothing to do with what I'm talking about. When Jesus tells a parable, He does it with a purpose. And what we need to be doing before we even get into our parable for the day is we need to ask why. Why is Jesus using parables? Well, the first reason is this, is that parables, parables were stories that were designed to convey divine truth. When Jesus told a parable, there was a purpose to it. There was an intentionality. There was a rationality. There was a a bigger truth at hand than just the story. In fact, in Matthew, Matthew 13, Jesus tells us why he uses parables. Check this out. Matthew 13, he says, whoever has ears, let them hear. And the disciples, they came to Jesus and they asked him, Jesus, why do you speak in parables? And Jesus replied, because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven have been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has been given more, they will have abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear nor understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their eyes, they have, or they hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts in turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes because they see, and your ears because they hear. For truly, I tell you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but have not heard it. In verse 11, Jesus actually says, he's like, look, the purpose of this is so that you will have the knowledge of the kingdom of heaven. So that you will understand what the kingdom of heaven is about. So that when you hear these stories, all of a sudden the kingdom of heaven becomes real. You understand, it transports you, it transforms you. Jesus, when he tells stories for us, his disciples, it was meant to help us understand the gift that he is offering us to bring us to a place where we now may know more about the heaven that he has created for us. So when Jesus tells stories, when he tells a parable, it is to convey divine truth, but it's also designed to help us see the big picture. 
If you've read a story, if you've watched a film, all of a sudden like you, you find yourself, maybe it's just me, but you find yourself going, why are you doing that? Right? When we read scripture, I think we do this often with the disciples when they make dumb decisions. We're like, why would you do that? And it's because we see the big picture. We understand. We can see the mistakes they are making because we have a 50,000 foot view of it. And he says, that when he tells these stories, it's to draw us in and help us to know what the big picture is then. It's to help us be aware of what's happening so that we as his disciples can make discerning decisions. But you see, stories are also easily retained. If you think about this, like, whenever you hear a story told, you're more likely to remember the story than everything else that's going on. A few weeks ago, our, our, our topic in Love This Book, and we're doing this study throughout the entire church, the topic was Jesus the Agitator. And unfortunately, I drew the short straw on how to teach that in student ministries. And I remember looking at that going, thanks, George. You had to pick that one, right? But here's the thing. If you went to my students or even my adult volunteers and said, hey, what were Nick's like, final points of application? They probably couldn't tell you. It's okay. I couldn't either. I'd have to go back and look at my notes. But what they could tell you is the stories. Because I retold the story of the, of the young man who was paralyzed, who was lowered into somebody's home, and how in order for that to be accomplished, these guys were digging at the roof. And as Jesus is teaching, I can just imagine like the dirt hitting him in the face. And then this dude falls down, and they're kind of trying to lower him. And you know when you have a bunch of young guys trying to do something smart, it doesn't work out well. And so you can picture the guy kind of tilting a little bit, going, I'm already paralyzed, what else are you going to do, Right? And then you have like the, that next parable or that next story that, of the Pharisees who are following Jesus and his disciples and they're wandering through a wheat field and the and they, disciples, they pick up a head of wheat and they start rubbing it between their hands to separate the chaff from the wheat and all of a sudden the Pharisees jump out of this wheat field. It's like children of the corn on overload and they jump out like, ha ha ha, I got you. It's like, what is wrong with you? But we remember those stories and Jesus gets that. He knows that when we hear stories, it transports us, it sticks with us, and it helps us to remember the truth of what is being told. But a story is also then designed to help us self-reflect and self-evaluate. And Jesus is the master of this when it comes to stories, when he tells his parables. He tells them designed to make us think about our hearts and our lives. He wants us to reflect and evaluate where we are at. But it's also a call to action. Whenever Jesus tells a parable, it's not just because he wants to tell a good story that forces us to think about where we're at. He tells a story that forces us to reflect on where we are at and so move us to action. I love going to movies with Elise. We, we recently were able to go to uh, the flagship cinema, you know, the only movie theater you should go to because like, there ain't no movie theater like if you can't lean back in the chair and have it heating because they got those now. They got ones that actually heat you, which actually just makes you like, pay more money because you fall asleep in the one movie you have to watch it again. They're really smart, right? Now, like, we went there and we saw a movie, and I remember getting out in the car, and what we do all the time is we talk about the implications of that movie, right? Hey, what were the worldviews that were being expressed there? Hey, what was, the, what was their, their narrative on culture or society or politics? Hey, what does this mean in terms of, like, Christianity and our faith? Where does it relate? And then what does that mean then, right? If that's the narrative that they're speaking, we know it's counter-Christ, what do we do about that? A good story should force you to reflect, but also move to action. 
And so this morning, I want to look at one parable. In fact, if you did the study, you probably were coming into church a little bit like timid because you're going, oh, there's 52 verses, Nick, and you're long-winded already. What are you going to say? We're not going to do all 52. Just to alleviate your fears, we're not going to hit all 52. In fact, we're going to hit just the first one. The last three parables in this passage in, in Matthew 13 have to do with bringing others into the kingdom, showing them the truth of the gospel and allowing for that to transform their lives. The first parable, the parable that we're going to be looking at this morning, is a parable that talks about heart transformation. It's the parable of the sower, or the parable of the soils. And all of a sudden, the dirt makes sense. I'm not crazy, I promise. But we're going to be talking about the parable of the sower, and what that means for our hearts. And what our response should be. So let's pick up in Matthew 13, beginning in verse 1. It says this. It's that same day Jesus went out of the house, sat by the lake, and such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and he sat in it, while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed, and as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. And some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. And that seed sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop, a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. In the beginning of this story, Jesus, we're told, he kind of gets up and he goes for a walk. And I can only imagine that Jesus is going to do some reflection at this point. Because if you've ever had that, you kind of wake up early morning, if you're like near like a shoreline or some water, and you're just able to kind of take like that reflective walk. But you know, Jesus is at this point now in Matthew 13 where he's kind of like, you know, popular. And so people just follow him wherever. That has to be loads of fun, right? You're trying to have me time, and like here comes this huge crowd of people. Hey, Jesus, hey, Jesus, hey, Jesus, hey, Jesus, hey, Jesus. Shut up. I don't know if Jesus said shut up, son of God kind of thing. I don't know. But like I can imagine, right? And we're told that, like, they follow him to the shoreline. And, like, I have to imagine they just kind of hemmed him in. Because we're told Jesus gets on the boat, right? And he gets on the boat, and he just kind of goes out just far enough. And everybody is left standing on the shoreline. And I think Jesus went just far enough, because you know the disciples, they were stubborn, so you have to imagine the crowd was too. So they were out just deep enough that it was, like, over people's heads. Because you know there were some were like, I'm going to get closer and closer. Oh, I can't breathe. And they had to back up, Right? And so Jesus is out and he goes, hey, let me tell you a story. And he goes, there's this sower, this, this farmer, this planter. And he goes out and he just takes his seed and he's scattering his seed, planting it as he goes. And we're told that it falls in different categories, right? And if we look at this, like my first instinct is I'm like, Jesus, are you telling me that I need to be a, a gardener? Because Jesus, that's not good. Because like I kill things. Like I love when people are like super like thoughtful and they give you a plant. I don't know why people think I'm good at this, but like Elise and I, we recently had COVID, and so I'm going to apologize to the Bergeners real quick. Um, sorry, Amy and Tim, um, but like they, they brought us over a care package back at the end of last year when we had COVID, and they brought us a plant. This is a really pretty potted plant. It's now dead. It's been dead for a long time. Like literally put it on, like we put it near the sunlight, and like I forgot it was there. Story of my life. Like people were like, here, have a plant. I'm like, okay, it'll die. Right? Or it's like, people are like, hey, did you plant anything this spring? I'm like, define plant. As in, I went to the grocery store and, and like bought produce, then yes. Like, I did not plant, like, when I plant stuff, it dies. 
It just happens. Like, I do not have a green thumb. So I'm like, Jesus, please tell me not to be a gardener. Because, like, things are not going to last. Like, the only thing that's alive in my house, and this probably speaks more to an addiction I have than anything else, is a coffee plant. Like, realistically, like, we have a coffee plant on top of our fridge that we got from Aldi. And that plant has lasted for two years because I'm hoping it will produce coffee. Like, that's the only reason that sucker's alive. Like, that's the truth. And it's like, I just don't do well with this. I'm like, Jesus, please tell me this is not what you want. And I think the disciples kind of thought the same way because they're like, um, Jesus, question, what you talking about? And later in Matthew 13, Jesus says this. He goes, let me explain this to you guys. He goes, this is what the parable is about. So later, or listen to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. For when trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. The seed falling among the thorns, then, refers to someone who hears the word. But the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of the wealth, they choke the word, making it unfruitful. But the seed that falls on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Jesus says to his disciples, he goes, guys, like, let me, let me explain to you just a little bit about what this means. The soil is reflective of our hearts. You see, when Jesus tells this parable, he uses it to teach us about where our hearts are at. Jesus is like, you want to know what's happening? I'm the sower. I'm the farmer. I'm coming with the seed, the good news of the gospel, and I'm throwing it out to you. And your heart represents the different soils. You see, the first soil that Jesus tells us about is the path. And if you've ever walked on the path, like we are very blessed here in America, like our paths are like either asphalt or concrete. It's not like how it was back then. Like their, their paths back then were like a mixture of dirt and rocks that just kind of got packed down, right? And as they got packed down, what would happen inevitably is as a seed hit the path, it would just kind of bounce off and fall by the side. And it wouldn't take root. And the path, really, the path represents a hardness or an unwillingness to receive. And some of us in here today, like, that may be where your heart's at. Maybe you got hurt by somebody. Maybe the church hurt you. Maybe you, you went to God and you asked God for something to happen. You asked for healing. You asked for restoration. And it doesn't seem like God cared enough to answer. And so we've just allowed for our heart to become hard. So hard that every time that we hear the word of God or we hear a worship song, it just kind of, it just bounces off and falls by the side. The next part is the shallow soil or the rocky soil. And if you've ever had that happen where you've had rocks in with your soil, you know how difficult it is for, for seeds to grow, right? Because like there's no way that the seeds can grow around all the rocks, and there's actually very little dirt. And shallow soil, what that shows is like there's not depth 
It shows that, that it's just kind of like this superficial aspect of what we hold as our faith. There's no root to it. Like when, when, when difficulties happen, it's just easy because there's no depth that we can just kind of pull it out and toss it by the side. And that's for many people who have said, hey, you know what, like I want to go to church, I want to know who Jesus is, but we're not really willing to go fully. There's other things that seem better. Or maybe you're at that tangled soil, right? That soil where there's just other roots and plants there. I don't know about you guys, but like I said before, like I'm not a good like gardener. And kind of like my knee-jerk reaction is like, when I have to plant something the next season, what I do is I don't like to pay for, for dirt. Like, I think this is, it's, it's, it's this crazy thing that, that we pay for bags of dirt, right? It's like we have dirt everywhere, and we pay for good dirt. I don't get it. But what I love to do is to reuse my plants or my pots that had plants in them. But you ever notice the problem with that? Is you get all these types of roots in there, and if you try to plant something else in there, there's no room for the actual plant to grow. And what happens is if it grows, more often than not, it will just get ensnared and tangled and it will actually suck the life out of that plant because it's so shallow and tangled. And the reality is that that soil then, it leaves us feeling twisted or confused. It leaves us feeling cluttered. Because there's all these other things that are competing for our attention that are just pulling away from God's word and saying, oh, you want to try and grow? Grow in this. And Jesus says, these are the first three soils. But then he talks about the fourth. And the fourth one that he talks about is this good soil. This soil that when you smell it, it smells so good. It's that soil that comes in a big yellow bag, right? The one that we pay exorbitant amounts of. The one that has the vitamins in it. It has the nutrients that the soil needs, and it just, it just runs through your fingers. And Jesus says, this is the good soil. This is the heart that is fruitful and productive, the heart that is healthy, and that when you, when you place the seed in the soil and you cover it back up, that is the soil that then produces a crop that's 150 or 30-fold that one little seed. You see, Jesus is saying to us, my friends, my brothers and my sisters, which soil are you? You see, the reality is there are probably some of us here today who are here. And this is where we're at. In this dirty, messed up soil. And you know what's crazy about this? It's heavy. And it breaks us. But you know what's cool? is Jesus doesn't condemn us for this. Because there may be some of us here today who are like, Nick, that's me. I'm the path, I'm the tangled, I'm the shallow soil. Nick, that's me. 
I want you to know it's okay to be here. It's not okay to stay. You see, God's desire is that we move from the weight to something that is light and life-giving. Because our mission is to bear good fruit from the soil. To take this and allow the seed to grow and to multiply. To allow for the seed to be transformed. But the reality is the condition of our heart then dictates what fruit, if any, we will bear. This parable is meant for us to reflect and to say, God, which soil am I? Maybe it's a mixture. Maybe there's a couple here and you're going, man, Nick, like, that tangled rocky soil, that's me. Or maybe you're pausing now and going, Nick, I thought I was here, but maybe, maybe if I'm honest, I'm a little bit more over here. Okay. The question we need to ask then is, what do we do about it? And I think what we do about it is we first self-reflect and analyze where we are at. And we, ask, we do that by asking this first question, which soil am I? Which soil? And again, I would tell you, my friends, if, if this is where you're at, first of all, welcome. You're not the only one been there, walking through it, totally get it. But as you ask yourself what soil you are, ask this next question. Are your hearts and actions bearing fruit? And if they are, how so? Because realistically, the only way we're going to bear good fruit is if we're in good soil. If the word of God has good soil to drop that seed in and cultivate it and allow for it to transform our lives, then we can bear fruit and show the world who Jesus is. And then ask that next question, what's keeping you from being transformed? The very first apartment I lived in on my own, ironically enough, was behind a flower shop. I think God has this weird sense of humor. And behind this flower shop was my apartment, and leading up to my apartment was this gravel driveway. And if you have a gravel driveway, if you've ever lived at a place that has a gravel driveway, you know that the surrounding area is not dirt, it's gravel. Because it just kind of goes everywhere. I had this little patch of what we'll call land next to my stoop. And I remember saying, I'm going to put a garden here. I don't know why. I said, I'm going to put a garden here. I remember I went to my dad, because my dad was the one with the tools. I don't own that kind of stuff for obvious reasons. And went and said, Dad, I need an iron rake, I need a rake, I need a shovel, I need a, a trowel, I need all these things. And he said, okay. And I spent weeks with this iron rake just trying to cultivate it. And no matter how deep I went, I felt like I just kept hitting rock upon rock. And I finally tried to plant stuff, and it didn't do so well. I mean, some things did okay, but not great. But in order to help us be transformed, we have to be willing to cultivate the soil. I said it's okay to be here, but it's not okay to stay. So what's keeping you from being transformed? If 
you remember in the beginning I said the purpose of parables was, yes, to help us self-reflect, but also to move us to action. And the action piece, the next couple of steps are this. You need to commit to bringing, you need to commit to bearing fruit that can be shared with others. My friends, as followers of Jesus, we have an obligation. That obligation is to bear good fruit, to be ambassadors for the kingdom of heaven. You see, when we bear good fruit, it replicates and it grows. I love driving by wildflower fields because, you know, wildflowers, it's not like somebody went out and like, like there's this like crazy person who went out and just like decided to plant flowers one year. They just grow and reproduce because each year as they grow, the seeds fall and grow and make more and more and more. And we have this, this, this challenge from God to bear good fruit. But we can only bear good fruit if we're in healthy soil. So commit to bearing fruit that can be shared with others and then reflect on how you can mature and grow. Self-reflection is key here. To investigate our own hearts and to ask God, where am I at? What is keeping me, God? What is, what is holding me back? What roots are ensnaring me? What rocks are keeping me from going deeper, God? What do I need to get rid of so I can be healthy? And be a place that grows and replicates. You see, because a mature and healthy soil replicates itself. A few years ago, Elise and I were gifted some ornamental grasses. And I love these things because literally you plant them outside, you don't have to touch them. If they live or die, it's up to God. If it rains and there's snow and there's sun, they're good. And I remember we got this ornamental grass that was about this big. And we planted it right by my front steps in this plot of land that had nothing on it. And that grass has grown exponentially bigger each year because it's good soil. It's been maturing and replicating itself and sharing that abundant harvest. So how can you mature and grow? And I think the last thing we need to do is arrange our life to allow your soil, your heart, to be more receptive to the sower. There are so many things that are pulling at our hearts day in, day out, trying to distract us, to ensnare us, to keep our soil from being rich and fertile. But instead, what we need to do is go, what can we do to change our heart? What can we do to change rhythms in our lives to allow for our hearts to be more receptive to the sower. Our obligation is to receive what God is giving. He does the transformation. But our response is to allow for that soil to stay healthy, to mature, and to grow, and to bear good fruit. So this morning, let me ask you, which soil are you? Are you allowing the word of God to grow and replicate in your life and the lives of others around you? Or is there some work that needs to be done? Will you pray with me?
Father God, we are so thankful for you. We are thankful that, that you don't call us to be perfect. I'm just, I'm just awestruck that, that your son in this parable just went out and he just he said, hey, let me spread the word of God regardless of where people are at. Thank you for that. Thank you that you didn't just choose the people who had it all together. Thank you that you give us hope that if we are in that rocky or tangled or dry place, Father, that there is hope of restoration. There is hope of goodness again. And so I pray for my brothers and my sisters who may be in that place, Father, right now. Father, you bring healing and hope into their lives. Father, for those who are in the good soil, may they walk with those who are not. Not in a condemnation, condemning way or self-righteous way, but in a way that shows them the power of the gospel. May they see Jesus through the health of their heart. Father, for those who are in that healthy place, may they just seek to replicate that in the spheres of influence that they are in. Father, may our healthy hearts replicate not just 30, not just 50, or even 100-fold, Father, but may our healthy hearts replicate the love of Jesus beyond all that we could ask or imagine. Through us, Father, may they see your Son, and in so seeing, may that bring about transformation in the lives of the people of this world. We pray this in your name. Amen. I want to say thank you again for joining us today. Again, whether online or in person, we're just so thankful that you are here. Um, we will be honored as well if there's anything that we can be praying for. If you feel like you want to come up and pray with us, we will have people up here available for you. There's also a way to do that online. So please feel free if there's anything that we can be praying with or walking with you through. We want to be that resource for you. So now as you go, may we be people who reflect healthy soil and seek to reproduce the kingdom of heaven as we share that with others. Have a great week.